Thank you much so much, Weston, and thank you, church, for giving me the opportunity to partner with you and the challenges that God has placed before you, and indeed those are some uh, big challenges, and it's just a joy for me to be able to anticipate the opportunity to get to know you better, and as we work together and serve the Lord together and see what God is going to really do as we take this journey together. You know, whenever a church embarks upon something like this, it's always an unselfish thing because we do it for those primarily, not for ourselves, but for those that God has called us to minister to. And one of the things I want to always help churches understand that this is really about ministry. Uh, It's really not about money. It's really not about buildings, but it's about reaching people for Jesus Christ. And in order to do that, yes, it does take facilities. We've got to have facilities. In order to have facilities, yeah, it does take some money. But the bottom line is reaching folks for Christ and seeing people's lives changed and having the uh, facilities that it takes for us to be able to do that. And in the first service, I asked, I guess this building was built about 50 years ago. So all of those of you who are under 50 obviously were not here when this building was built. Uh, But I wonder how many of you were here when this building was built. Raise your hands, those of you that were. I see one, two, is that it? Two folks. And so for those two of you, uh, you look around now and you see all of these people And what an encouragement that must be to you to realize that these are folks that back then we had no idea who they were and we didn't know know their names or faces. And uh, they've come because of those who back then did have the vision and were willing to make the sacrifices and willing to give themselves to provide this facility for all of you. And and truly that's the way it is for most churches this morning. People worship in facilities that they didn't help to provide. And that's what you're going to be doing. Because uh, I can pretty well guarantee you, if, I, if you had me come back in another five, six, seven, eight years, and I asked the question, how many of you were not here when this, you get your new facility built and all, and how many were not here when that happened? You'll see a lot of hands of people. And those are the people you're doing it for. And so, uh, and I want to help you to understand, too, that our approach may be a little different than what you might be expecting. Some of you maybe have been involved in, things like this in other places at other times. And uh, you say, well, I kind of know how this is going to work. But it may be quite different. For one thing, we're not going to be going to anybody and asking for money. Nobody's going to come to you and sit down and say, you know, are you going to give or how much are you going to give? Nobody's going to come to your house and bring a commitment card and ask you to fill it out and, and things like that. But uh, just a little later after, this, after the message, I'll be sharing with you a little bit about the approach that we are going to be taking and uh, the journey that we'll be taking together. But for right now, I'd like to invite you to uh, direct your attention with me toward Matthew chapter 21, and we'll be reading verse 33 and on down through verse 40. It's one of the parables that Jesus told that is commonly referred to as the parable of the tenants. And I think there are some principles here this morning that God would have us to glean and to apply uh, to help us to be all that God wants us to be. Notice in verse 33 of Matthew chapter 21. Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to his tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near... He sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, 
and stoned another. Again he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same thing to them. Finally he sent his son to them, saying, They'll respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? In the coming weeks and months, you're going to be hearing uh, from time to time that term stewardship. We've already used it this morning. And uh, I think it's important for us to really understand what stewardship is. Because most of the time we tend to think of stewardship as relating to giving. There's a synonym for giving. So we talk about a stewardship campaign, we're talking about a giving campaign. But stewardship doesn't really mean giving. Stewardship really means managing. And specifically, managing something that belongs to somebody else. If you remember back in the Old Testament with Joseph, when his brother sold him as a slave, and he ended up down in Egypt, and he ended up being a servant in Potiphar's house. And the Bible tells us that Potiphar put Joseph in charge of all that he had. Everything. And so evidently, Joseph was the one who took care of the other servants, you know, and, and managed them, maybe did the hiring, did the firing. He would have done the purchasing, the selling. He would have made all the business decisions that had to be made as far as everything that Potiphar had. The Bible says he turned everything that he had over to Joseph. But did Joseph own anything? No, not at all. He was just a slave. He was just there to, to work for Potiphar. And so he was managing something. He was managing all Potiphar's stuff. He was called a steward. Abraham also had a steward that the Bible identifies. His name was Eliezer, called the chief steward of Abram's household. And again, Abram had all the flocks. He had all the shepherds. He had all the people who worked for him. And so evidently, Eliezer was the one that he just turned everything over to. In fact, the Bible even tells us that Eliezer was the one. He when wanted to have a uh, wife for Isaac. He said, I'm going to delegate that to you, Eliezer. And so he really took care of all the things, but he didn't own anything. He was managing Abraham's affairs, Abraham's stuff, and so he was a steward. So when we talk about stewardship, by even using the term, uh, inherent within the term is the idea, the truth, that we are managing something that belongs to somebody else, namely God. And we're called upon to be good managers of that which God has entrusted to us. Now this morning I want us to to, uh, make four quick observations. And with each of these observations to make an application uh, from this parable. And the first observation is this. That the owner gave to these tenants, these servants, everything that they needed to be able to produce a crop for him. Notice how the parable starts out. There's a master of the house who planted a vineyard. And I'm sure that when he did, he put in the very best vines, the best stock that he he could find. Then it says he put a fence around it to protect it from the animals who would come and want to destroy the vines and so forth. And and the Bible in Song of Solomon even talks about the little foxes that destroy the vines. And and so he had the fence around it. And then the Bible says he dug a wine press in it. They needed to have the wine press in order to process the grapes once harvest was there and once they gathered all the grapes they processed them in the wine press so he gave them that then it says he built a tower to protect it from maybe marauders that would come and want to steal the grapes and so forth gave them everything that they needed to be able to produce a 
a, a crop for him. The application is simply this. God has given us everything we need to be able to produce what he wants for him. God has been good to us. God has blessed us in many, many different ways. He's blessed us financially. I know uh, there's a statistic that I hear repeated in several different places that really strikes home to me. Over half the world's population lives on less than $2 a day. Can you imagine what that's like? Some of you, uh, you teenagers, I mean, you go spend a couple of bucks on... uh, go get soft drink or, or something like that. I mean, if you're going to go get a Big Mac meal, it's going to be seven. Uh, but, uh, you know, we spend a couple of dollars, you know, really, really quick. And we don't really think that much about it. But we've got to stop and realize that for half the world's population, that's not just a few folks in some little tribe down in the Amazon or something like that. Half the world's population lives in less than $2 a day. That's got to buy the food for the family. It's got to buy, pay for transportation. It's got to pay for housing. It's got to pay for, uh, if the kids even have an opportunity to go to school, it's got to pay for, for sometimes a uniform or something like that. I mean, $2 a day. Think how God has blessed us. I don't know who might be struggling the most here this morning as far as being able to pay the bills and, and uh, you know, buy the groceries and things like that. But uh, even whoever that might be, I mean, God's been good to us. And not just financially. I mean, God gives us health. What kind of a price do we put on that? You can't. Uh, God gives us our families. We've just had Christmas, and we've been able to get together with our families and enjoy our families. What a precious gift. And God's given you this church. We come, and we fellowship, and enjoy each other. And when people have needs, people reach out to each other, and love on each other and, and meet those needs. And, and what a gift that is, especially <clears throat> at times when we do have needs and we really begin to appreciate our church family and what God has given to us. God has been awfully good to us. And the psalmist was thinking about those things himself when in Psalm 116 and verse 12, he wrote and he said, What shall I render unto the Lord for all of his goodness toward me? So the psalmist was evidently thinking about the blessings that God had given to him and all the good things God had given to him and his response is, what should my response be? What what do I say? What do I do? What what is God looking for from me in light of all the blessings that he's poured out on me? What does God expect me to do about that? And that's a good thing for us to ask. And we need to take some time and think about the things that God has done for us and appreciate the blessings that God has, has given to us. Well, the second observation is this, that the, everything that the tenants possessed, the, the, the vines, the wine press, the tower, the fence, everything they possessed, they held as temporary stewards. They were there to take care of it for a while, but then later on there'd be other stewards that would come and, and other tenants that would come and they would take care of it. And likewise, God has given us these things for a while. But they don't last forever. God, uh, you know, whatever car you drove to work to, to church today or drive to work tomorrow, uh, probably someday somebody else will drive that car. Right now it's yours. And you have the responsibility to wash it and change the oil in it and take care of it and all of that. And then someday somebody else will have that car, the house that you live in. 
Someday somebody else will probably live in that house. And right now you have the opportunity and the privilege. You, you cut the grass and you fix whatever needs to be fixed and paint it when it needs to be painted. And some of you ladies paint the inside when it doesn't need to be painted, but you want to paint it. My wife and I have been having that discussion just recently. Bedroom color is fine. But she doesn't think so. And, uh, but right now we have the opportunity to do that. But someday, somebody else is going to live in your house and they'll change the color anyway. Same thing with our children. You know, we have our children for a little while. And then they grow up and often. I told you the service. I said, I have two grown daughters, three children, and all of them married, and two daughters. And, you know, one day this guy comes along that doesn't have a lick of sense and doesn't know anything about what the world is all about. And he says, can I marry your daughter? And you say, you got to be kidding. (laughs) Think I'm going to turn her over to you? And uh, my oldest daughter was... uh, the, she was a strong-willed child. I mean, she, had, she was so opinionated about everything, anything. And I told her one day, I said it was when, president, when Ronald Reagan was president, I said, you know, the reason you're so frustrated is because Reagan won't call you and ask. If he'd just call you, you could tell him what to do. And uh, we, were, we were playing golf. <clears throat> Gary and I were playing golf when he wanted to marry her, and and uh, he waited until the 17th hole before he asked me. And he asked me, he said, Can I, would you give me permission to marry Debbie? And I'll never forget the answer I gave to him. And this is the honest truth. This is exactly what I said. I said, if you think you can handle her, you can have her. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then here about a year or two ago, we were on vacation with him. And I was kind of kidding Gary, and I said, yeah, Gary, I said, it took you until the 17th tee before you had enough courage to ask me to marry her. And, uh, and he said, no, Dad, he said, that wasn't it at all. He said, I was waiting for you to win a hole so that you'd be in a good mood, and it took, <laughs> it took 16 holes before you won one. <laughs> so the truth does come out. But, but we have these children for a while. And then, you know, there's somebody else's responsibility. All of these things we have just for a little while. And uh, they don't belong to us. It's easy for us to, to talk about things as ours. And, I, and there's nothing wrong with it. And these tenants, you know, I'm sure when they'd converse with each other, they would say things like, you know, I've been out, I got up early this morning, been working out in my vineyard all day, and boy, I'm really tired, you know. And so, whose vineyard? My vineyard? Boy, I was out in the vineyard. Boy, my grapes really look good this year. Looks like I'm going to have a lot of grapes. My grapes? You're going to have a lot of grapes? You know, went out and I was whitewashing my tower and uh, getting the tower all whitewashed up. And whose tower? And we do the same thing. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. But, uh, you know, we'll say, you know, I've got to take my car down and have the oil change my car. Whose car? And I've got to uh, fix the roof in my house. Whose house is it, really? And I, I've got to take my paycheck down and put it in my, my checking account. Whose paycheck? Whose checking account? 
and we, we talk, and I'm not saying anything wrong with saying that. I mean, well, that's just the way we converse. That's just the way we talk. But I hope that in the back of our mind that we have that spiritual knowledge to realize that, hey, it's really not my house. I call it that. Yeah, that's fine. It's really not my car. It's really not my paycheck. It's really not my checking account. It really all belongs to God. And the psalmist, again, in, in Psalm 24, in verse 1, he makes, the, he makes that observation. He says, the earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. Does that include all that stuff that I call mine? I would assert that it does. The third observation we want to make is this, that the tenants were expected to willfully and joyfully relinquish to the master Anything and everything that he wanted for his own purposes. And it was his vineyard. And so the Bible tells us that the time came when there was, there was fruit there, that the master went and he sent his servants. And the Bible says that when they came, that these tenants looked at him coming. And they said, they're, going to come, they're, they're coming to take away our grapes. And so they beat one, and they stoned another, and they killed another. And the master said, well, maybe it was just a bad day. I'll send more servants. And so they went and sent more servants, and they did the same thing to them. Then finally he sent his son. He said, they'll respect my son. But when they saw the son coming, they said, there's the one that's really going to take our grave. They're going to take our vineyard. Let's kill him so that he doesn't get our vineyard. And you see, the whole problem was they began to get mixed up in their thinking about who really owned the vineyard. They began to see it as theirs rather than the fact that they were just the tenants, that they were just the stewardship, the stewards of something that belonged to somebody else. I need a 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old person to come up and help me for just a minute. Right in the front row. Very good. Would you come on up here? Thank you. And what is your name? Trinity. Trinity. Very good, Trinity. And how old are you? Eleven. Eleven. Okay. Trinity, I got something here for you. Does that make it worth coming up here? Here. <laughs> Very good. Now, if you're going to Walmart or something and you had that in your purse, what would you like to buy? What do you kind of like to get that's a special treat? Chocolate. Chocolate. Ah, girl after my own heart. Very good. So do you have any right now, or are you kind of low on chocolate? You keep some stored up? Okay, but you wouldn't mind having some more. You still got Halloween candy? No. <laughs> Threw it away. Oh, my. Okay. Well, Trinity, I've got some good news, bad news for you. You're really not going to be able to buy any chocolate with that, okay? Okay, I want you to do something special for me, okay? I want Weston and Jenny to have it, okay? But I don't want them to have it right now. I want to, I want to wait about two weeks. And so two weeks from today, what Sunday is that going to be? That's going to be the 18th, 25th? January? Okay, 25th of January. I want you to bring that back to church, and I want you to give it to, to Weston, okay? Can you do that for me? Do you ever have a purse or anything that you carry some? Uh, you give it to your mom. Hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> your mom your mom must be a good steward. <laughs> That's all I can say. Uh, well tell you what. Go home and put it on your dresser, alright? Okay. okay. 
on top of your dresser. Is it clean, or do you need to clean it off a little bit to get it up there? Or? <laughs> you good? Okay. Just t- put it on your dresser. You see it. And then two weeks from today, bring it back to Weston, okay? Do that for me? Thank you, Trinity. Appreciate it. <clears throat> Very good. Now, here's the thing. Trinity sees that lying up there, and then she says she gets a, uh, a chocolate attack. Or she wants to have a CD or something like that that she wants to buy, and she sees that lying there. She says, you know, I could use that $10 to buy that. And uh, Weston, he's getting kind of old, and he doesn't remember too well anyway. So he won't remember two weeks from now. And besides, Weston has a whole lot more money than what I have, so I'll just go ahead and use it for something I really want. You see the point I'm getting at? Just because we have it in our possession doesn't mean that we can use it just any way we want. When we're stewards, we use it for the benefit of the one who is the owner and according to the way the owner wants us to do it. You see, there was nothing wrong with this owner going to, the, going to the vineyard and asking the tenants to have some of the fruit. And by the way, if he'd have sent his servants when there weren't any grapes, the Bible makes a point that it was when harvest was come. Supposing he'd sent his servants when there weren't any grapes in the spring of the year, how do you think they'd have been received then? Huh, I think they'd have said, fine, come on in, look around, you know. Uh, see the good job we're doing. Look how good the vines look. We really... We've been pruning them and fertilizing them. And, and look, we just whitewashed the wall and the, the wine press. We just got that all tuck pointed and everything is, is uh, getting it ready for the harvest. And I think I've been glad to have them come. The problem was they came when there was grapes around. And so when they came, they saw them as taking grapes from them. But there was nothing wrong. It was totally natural for the owner to expect to have some of his grapes. And we look at what those, those vine growers, those, those tenants did, and we tend to get pretty hard on them. We say, what, you know, what wicked guys. You know, how despicable. I mean, here, nothing wrong with the owner sending and get some grapes. And what did they do? They beat them, and they stoned them, and they killed them. And then he sent more, and they did the same thing. And then he sent his son, and they killed his son. And, and you, know, what, you know, what awful people they were. Let's not be too hard on them. Because how do we respond when God comes to us and asks for some of his grapes? Sometimes we may not respond the right way either. And the fact of the matter is that in the coming weeks and months that God is going to come to us and he's going to ask us for some of his grapes. And there's nothing wrong with that. And how are we going to respond when we sense the Spirit of God talking to us and asking us for some of his grapes? And by the way, who would God expect to receive the most grapes from? Wouldn't it be those that he gives the best vineyards to? You see, God hasn't given us all the same kind of vineyard. For some of you, God has given you just a little vineyard. And your vineyard produces just a a few grapes. But for others of you, God has given you big vineyards and your vineyards are producing a lot of grapes. And God comes to us and says, okay, I want some of my grapes. But if we see all of that stuff as ours, and we say, bless God, I've worked hard and I've got up late and others took vacations and I didn't and I've given myself and, and uh, you know, and, and just, you know, others have been out 
playing golf and doing that. I've been working and bless God I have what I have because I work so hard. Listen, folks, it all belongs to God. Who gave us the ability to, to work? Who gave us the health so we could? And so the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 12 and verse 48, to whom much has been given, much is required. Well, the fourth observation very quickly is this. The time came when the tenants had to give an account to the owner. And they had to give an account of what, how they'd managed that which they entrusted to them and what they'd done. And folks, the time is coming when we too will have to stand before the owner. We're going to have to give an account. You see, as in this parable, the Bible tells us how the owner went away on a long journey. And our owner's been gone for 2,000 years. But he's coming back. And someday we're going to stand before him. And we're going to have to give that account of our stewardship and what we've done. And a part of the purpose of a campaign like this is to prepare us so that when that time comes that we'll be able to give an account with joy. Say, God, as much as I know how, I've tried to look to you and get direction from you as to how I've managed those things that you've trusted us with and tried to be that good steward and that we can give that account with joy. And so I think of the verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 where it says, Moreover is required of stewards that one be found faithful. So may it be that when we find ourselves standing before God on that day, that he'll be able to say to us, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Let's just bow our heads together, shall we? And like I said, just take a few moments of quiet and just commune with God perhaps a bit. Maybe just tell God, Lord, thank you for the blessings. I'm sure that we don't do that enough. Say, God, you've been so good to us. You've blessed our family. You've given us health, a job. You've provided our needs. God, thank you. Thank you. Then maybe just take a moment and recognize God as the owner of it all and say, God, I know I talk about my stuff. We all do, but God, I want you to know, understand, it really is yours. I'm just taking care of it. And recognize him as that owner. And then maybe just invite him in your vineyard. Say, God, come on in. Look around. See what's there. Look out in the garage. See the toys. Look through the records. Bank statements, titles, deeds. Look around the house. God, it's all yours. You're welcome in my vineyard anytime.
And then maybe just ask him and say, God, please, would you show us what we should do? Would you show me what, what I should do, what our family should do? In light of the challenges that our church is facing and these coming weeks as we pray about this, Lord, would you just show us what you want? And then give us the faith and the courage and the trust to obey you. Weston. Thanks, Bob, for sharing with us. Um, this morning, uh, right now, we come to our time of communion. And um, as we do, we're going to have our worship team come on up. And uh, we're going to sing a song to get ready for that. Uh, as we do every week, this song is also a, a chance for you to respond to how you feel uh, God is calling you. Perhaps um, this morning, as you think about being a good steward, the issue isn't necessarily your resources, it's, it's you, it's your, your, your life, it's your heart, and, and you know, you, you can't write a check for your soul, and you can't, you know, give anything in exchange for your life, scripture's pretty clear about that, uh, the only thing that you can do is to surrender it to Jesus, and so perhaps this morning there's some of you that would, would feel that, that need, that call to turn your life over to Christ. Others of you, as we're here in the new year, perhaps it's time for you to make a commitment to the church, to, to the body of Christ. You've been here with us for quite some time, and you think, you know, this is the church I want to worship with. This is the church I want to identify as my home church and make a commitment to this church uh, by being a member of this congregation. And so if that's a decision you have this morning, we'll invite you to come forward as we sing this next song, and, and we'd be glad to welcome you here as part of this congregation. If you don't have one of those decisions, let's sing this. Let's, let's turn our eyes and our thoughts towards the work of Jesus and to what he's done as we come and prepare for communion. Please be standing. <clears throat> 